come before you with hearts that have been moved by you and God by what you've done for us. Lord, Lord, we don't come to the table this morning trying to seek what we can do for you, but instead learning what you have done for us. And God, may that be our fuel. May that be our motivation to live a life that is worthy of what you have called us to be. I'm thankful that you're great. God, I'm thankful that you took this path that we're going to look at for these days leading up to the highlight of our Christianity and the resurrection. But I'm thankful for the passion that you put forth. I'm thankful for the intentionality that you had with every single step on the way to Calvary. And God, that was for me. That was for the entire world. And Lord, I pray that we would hear that message here this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. And I trust that trust that the Lord has blessed your heart. Thank you, Mike and Jessica, as well as Sarah, with helping us. And I believe that we, as a, as a church, that we corporately, we, we sing unto the Lord. Children, this is your time. You may be dismissed to your class at this time. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. And uh, I, uh, as you know, normally I, I, I love to stay in series, and actually this is uh, Palm Sunday, and uh, uh, the Lord really impressed upon my heart early on uh, this week, about Monday, to, uh, to begin to, to, to preach from uh, a few texts that would imply and uh, that, that we can learn from uh, this morning. And so what I want to preach this morning, and, and I hope that your uh, heart is already prepared for this, is but that every Calvary step was love. Every, every single one of them. And we, and we see a passage here on uh, Palm Sunday of Mark chapter number 11 and verse number 9. It says, and they that went before and they that followed cried saying, Hosanna. That word Hosanna is like a, a, a word that can be used for just excitement, for uh, just adoration uh, for something. Can it be, honestly, it could be like kind of glory to God, but they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he that could the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so I want us to look this morning at, at this path to Calvary, and I want you to see how every single step that Jesus Christ took was one for you. And it was one for me. And so today was often known as Palm Sunday. And so it begins our journey with Jesus from Jerusalem's gate to Golgotha's cross and then ultimately to uh, Easter's triumph that we will celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. In this holy week, we, we begin with Hosanna. And then we walk solemnly toward crucify Him And then we finish elated with the news that He is risen. And so here we see Jesus' love for us in every intentional step that He took. In one sense, every step that He ever took was for us. Jesus Christ was, was born so that He could die. He came to give life and to give His life for us. His public ministry was in every way a steady drumbeat all the way to Calvary. But in this last week, this quickly moving story begins to run kind of in slow motion. 
roughly half of the Gospels from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, roughly about that, the latter half of all of them deals with this last week, deals with these last seven to eight days of the life of Jesus Christ. And the love of Christ for us in his dying was as conscious as his suffering was intentional for you and for me. We see in 1 John 3.16, it says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. If you're ever wanting to know what the love of God looks like, if you're ever wanting to know what the definition of what true love is, we find it in this passage as because he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. If you're wanting to know how you should love your spouse, if you're wanting to know how you should love your neighbor, if you're wanting to know how you should love your kids and your friends and all of the other people that are in your life, it ought to look like a cross. It ought to be a cruciform type of love. And honestly, that ought to that, that ought to send you right back to the cross. That ought to send you right back for the grace that's needed to be able to love in a fashion like that. But Christ was intentional in laying down his life. And who was it for? It was for us. It was for you. And it was for me. It's not just a, it's not just a story that we've heard and that we read about. No, no, no. Jesus Christ was intentionally walking on this first Palm Sunday as he goes into Jerusalem every bit intentionally for you and for me to one day lay down his life at Calvary. Verse 13, or chapter 13 of verse 1 of John says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them even unto the death. So every step of the road to Calvary, every single one he took, it was him saying, I love you. I love you. Come Monday as he's walking, I love you. Come Tuesday, I love you. Come Wednesday, I love you. And come to the day when Jesus Christ was crucified, every step was saying, I love you. I love the world. And I'm going to die for the world. And so to really feel that. Some of us, I hear, I say it, and you don't even bat an eye. You don't even feel it. We've been in church for so long. But for you and I to, to really feel that, to feel the weight of the fact that God loves us and that he cares for us in such a way, I think we need to see how utterly intentional his death was. And there's a couple ways that I'd like to show that to you this morning. First of all, Jesus himself made choices precisely to fulfill the scriptures. Jesus made choices in his life that was precisely to fulfill the scriptures that had been written about him. We, we learn a lot of the time of when Peter, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane there, and they come to, you know, Judas has already, uh, he's already betrayed Jesus, and they've come to bring, you know, to, to bring Jesus in, so to speak. And Peter, you know, being very much like us, right, he pulls out that sword. You know, don't, 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 don't be misled. He was trying to take his life, okay? It was, he, he, was, he was bad at it. All he did was cut his ear off. I think if Peter had another shot, he probably would be like, hey, you know, I want to kill this guy. But he cuts his ear off, and you know that story. But, but we learn a lot about Jesus' response to Peter. It says in verse 52 of Matthew 26, Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. 
For all they that take up the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Notice verse 54. But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? So it's one thing to say that the death of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament. That's one thing, and it's absolutely true. But it's another thing to realize that as Jesus Christ was living, as Jesus Christ was walking on this earth, he also was mindful of fulfilling the Scriptures. He wanted them all to be fulfilled. And that's what he's saying here in verse 54 of this text. It says, but how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled? Jesus is basically saying, this is what must happen. Peter, stop it. Now, Peter was just doing what often probably we do. We try to protect, uh, protect the Messiah, the one that you've probably followed for some three and a half years, and now they're coming to take him. But Jesus says to Peter, no, 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 stop it. This has got to happen. Before the foundation of the world, I've been slain, and I've got to, I've got to take these steps. I've got, to, I've got to go to Calvary. It was intentional to the point where he wanted to even fulfill the prophecies of what had been said about him. But let's look at another one. Jesus repeatedly expressed his commitment to go to Jerusalem. So again, he's, he's taking the twelve and they're walking and he begins to tell them as they're walking to Jerusalem, here's some of the, here's some of the things that are going to happen to me. He begins to prophesy of what is going to take place in his life. And we see that in Mark 10, verse 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and they shall scourge him, and they shall spit upon him, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. See, Jesus had... He had an all-controlling goal. It was, it, it, it was a, a one-and-all controlling goal, and it was to die according to the Scriptures. He knew when, he, when it was his time, he knew that he had, to, he had to commit to this. Those of you that were here in the, in the earlier hour, and we, and we learned from Ray Vanderland as he's kind of just depicting what the Garden of Gethsemane would have been like, and how Jesus, 100% God, absolutely, also in his humanity, 100% man, he's crying out before God, and he's saying, God, does it have to go this way? Do I have to, do I have to go to Jerusalem? Do I have to see these things take place? Do I have to allow this cup of wrath be poured out upon me? And Jesus says, can this cup pass? And then he says, nevertheless, not my will let thine be done. And you see, the, you see the humanity here of Jesus, but he says to his disciples, I've got to go. I've got to go to Jerusalem. And when I get there, I'm going to be brutally beaten. I'm going to be lied about. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be scorned. My, my face is going to be spit upon and so forth. And he tells us in Luke 9, verse 51, and it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
Can I put that kind of in our vernacular? He recommitted himself. He says, you know what? No, no, this is, this is what I've got to do. I was born for this. Sir, he was born for this, to die for you. Ma'am, he was born to die for you. And Jesus, at this moment, to depict his love, every step to Calvary, he says, you know what? I'm going I'm to set my face again. I'm going to recommit to going to Jerusalem. i got a few pictures here. Uh, James, if you could give the first one. It's, it's kind of hard to see, but uh, over here on, uh, on the right side would be kind of old Jerusalem. You kind of have the Temple Mount kind of on the right side above the head. And then you've got the Kidron Valley uh, here in between. And what I, when I, I would have been standing on the Mount of Olives when I, when I would have taken this picture. Okay, and so you can kind of you can kind of get an idea. James, if you can go to the next picture. This would be the, this would be the Southern Steps. Uh, it is believed that often this is where Jesus Christ and his family, every year he, they would have gone up these southern steps, kind of up into the temple. James, if you can go to the next one here, kind of get a little bit closer. Another picture of the southern steps. Can you go, go one more, please? And now you can get kind of a really close up. And you can see how, you know, different, uh, different people groups and different kings and conquerors, they would come and they would take the land and they would kind of knock it down. You can see the different, you know, kind of generations. We don't have the time to, to go through that. But these are, the, these are the southern steps that most likely Jesus would have been coming into Jerusalem at this time. And I just wanted to kind of give you a, give you a picture of that. But he said, I got I to gotta fulfill the scriptures. I got to die for you. He says, I've got to go to Jerusalem. Got to go to Jerusalem. Intentional for you. Intentional for me. Let me give you another intentional step. Jesus spoke of his sufferings in words of Isaiah. He spoke of his suffering in the words of Isaiah. We see in Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. I'll be honest with you, I have to work very hard in my imagination to keep before me the idea of what this would have required. And let me ask you, what is the human response to suffering? We tend to recoil from it, right? We absolutely, humans recoil from suffering. None of us want it. If I got up here, actually, I teased you a little bit last week, and I said, hey, here's what the Christian life is, Romans 12, it's going to be brutal. How many of you want to get in on it? No, we don't want it. We don't, we don't sign up for that. We, we recoil from that suffering, and yet this Bible, said, the, the Isaiah prophesied of it that Jesus, he was going to give his back. He was going to give his face. He was going to give his cheeks to the slapping to the plucking of his beard. Jesus literally offered up his face to be spat upon. And yet Jesus, he understands that this is not necessarily, uh, it's not, it, he, he, you and I, we recoil from people that are unjust. Jesus was the most just person to ever live. If you're looking for the worst scandal in the world, all you gotta do is look to the cross. You have this perfect, sinless God-man who's willing to give up for others, and yet he gives of himself his back, his cheeks, his face for you and for me. It's intentional. It's what God had before the foundation of the world designed for you and for me. Let me show you a few more 
pictures here. This is would be from the Garden of Gethsemane standing there. It was, it was an amazing morning. It was kind of, pictures don't quite show it, but it was overcast. And it was kind of a dreary morning. It was just a great place to just to pray and to see God. But from here, I was taking a picture of the, of the Eastern Gate where Christ is going to return someday. It's great. The next picture actually got uh, flipped on, on its side. I apologize. But this is the basement in, uh, in, in Caiaphas' house and uh, where Jesus would have spent one of his nights. And uh, so it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. But what Jesus is saying is like, I'm going to give this for you. I'm going to give my back for you. I'm going to give my beard and my cheeks and my face to be spit upon and to be ridiculed. Let me give you another intentional step. Jesus handled the injustice of it all by trusting his Father. I, th- I believe this is a good point for us. You and I can certainly bring an application to your life and to mine. But what happens is, as Peter, he explains how this is even possible. In 1 Peter 2, verse 23, it says, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. The way that Jesus handled the injustice was not to say that injustice doesn't matter. Listen, injustice does matter. Okay? But he was willing to say, you know what? I'm going to submit to the Father. I'm going to submit to a, to, to, to in a sense, a higher being. We know that Jesus is God, but he was willing to follow the Father. And he's saying, this is so unjust what's going on. I am the perfect, sinless Son of God. Yet he didn't deal with it in that fashion. He submitted himself to the Father. And listen, there's some application here. You and I, we've got to realize that you don't have to find justice in everything. If you remember uh, last week as we were going through Romans chapter number 12, I was telling you that if I lived for only this world, if this is it, there was no afterlife, if there's no heaven, there's no eternity with Jesus, if this is the only world, then I would seek justice for everything. If you, if you maligned me, then guess what? I've got I've to fix things. But you and I, we learn even in Christ, learning from his example for us, you know what, you and I, we don't have to answer every injustice to us. Romans 12, 19, we'll get here in a few weeks. It says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place in the wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Jesus is saying here in, earlier, it's like, I'm going to submit myself to the Father. You and I, we need to come to a place in our lives where we realize that the sovereignty of God is not something that's going to help you answer all the questions of life. The sovereignty of God is such a powerful truth when you don't know the answers to life. Why is there such injustice? Why is this going on? Why are people being beheaded and killed and and, and gassed and killed? Why? It should enrage you a little bit. But at the same time, you can take a step back and say, God, you are in complete control. I trust you. You are the one that will work everything out. So these intentional steps that we're going for uh, for, for Jesus' death. Let me give you another one. Jesus was under no constraint, but acted completely voluntarily. You you following me this morning? It's It's a different kind of message. Stick with me, please. Okay, John chapter 10, verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. 
I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. You want to know what Jesus' point here? Jesus' point is saying, I am acting completely voluntarily. I'm not under anyone's power. These men and these women that, that think that they're crying out for my crucifixion, no, no, no. I am doing this voluntarily. And who is he doing it for? You. For me. He's doing it, he's doing it for the world. He's not under constraint from any mere human being. Circumstances have not overtaken him. He's not being swept along in some injustice moment. No. You know what Jesus is saying? Every single step, even if you're pushing me, even if you're beating me along the path, every single step I take, it's voluntarily for you and for me. That's what this week's about. I want you to feel it. I wanted it to be weighty. I I knew coming in this morning that this wasn't going to be much like, whoa, I knew that. But I want you to feel it. It's for you. It's for me. These intentional steps of our Savior. I want you to to feel this verse again. 1 John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. When we hear that, we should feel the intensity of his love for us to the degree that we see his intentionality to suffer and die. I pray that you feel it profoundly. And when you begin to feel it profoundly, when you begin to experience what the love and the radical grace of God that is found in Jesus Christ, it begins to affect you in the way Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. This love that Jesus had for you, it constrains you. It is the very, it is the very motivation of your life, his love for you. And it gets you to the place, hear me, it gets you to the place. have to live into myself anymore. This verse helped me this morning. The reason why it helped me, I don't mind being transparent with you this morning. I've got dear friends here from Pennsylvania that are here this morning. And as a pastor, sometimes you want to have, you want to have a great Sunday. You want to, you want to honor and glorify God. And then I wake up this morning a little after five and I get the text from Mike, pastor, I have been sick all night. I'm thinking, oh me. I like to preach. I don't sing. No, I love to sing. Don't get me wrong. I love to sing. But leading it, nah, it was a little rough. You guys did a great job. And honestly, glory to God. But then I got into the office early this morning. I began reading it. And Steve and Kristen, love you all. But you know what? It really didn't matter how the service went today. Because Jesus began to tell me, hey, Ryan, it doesn't matter about you. Is it okay if I'm transparent with you this morning? I was struggling with that this morning. And God's saying to me, hey, you want to know why Jesus went and died on the cross? One of the reasons why he died is so you don't have to live unto yourself. It's not about you, Ryan. You preach that every week. Now it's time that you listen to it. He began to minister to me. He began to say, no, no, I love you. It doesn't matter what goes on. So that first Palm Sunday, this is what we hear. 
And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father, David, that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The sounds of the crowd this Sunday, some 2,000 years ago, would later be betrayed by the sounds of their stony hearts. Blessed as he would soon become crucified. Crucified. So for this reason, I'll be honest with you, this Sunday is kind of nauseating. The reality is, is that their response to Jesus that day, because we know the story, we know that it wasn't real. And as we feel the deep tragedy of their words, of their blindness, hear what I'm about to say, we should not expect that we would have been any different. See, the Pharisees and the people, that that day they had their problems. Guess what? So do we. The reality is, is that we would have, we would hear our praise as hollow as it is, and then by Friday, we would probably hear is this great song, How Deep the Father's Love Says, Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out, among the scoffers. See, it is not the righteous, hear me, it's not the righteous that Jesus Christ came to save. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And hey, that's you and me. So why don't you take yourself to that first week and evaluate, evaluate your heart. I think we just sang beautifully for 20 minutes or so before the message. And listen, listen, let that be the hosannas of the heart. But then also realize that there's moments in your life and there's moments in my life where we say, crucify him. Crucify him. And we mock the very sacrifice that God made for us. If you and I this morning, if we are in any way questioning the love of God, all you have to do is look to the cross. Sometimes you don't feel love in your family. Sometimes you don't feel love in your, in your workplace. Sometimes you don't feel love in your neighborhood. If you want to feel love this morning, I don't know how you came in here this morning, but if you want to feel love, why don't you look to the cross? Look to Jesus there, high and lifted up for you and for me. Spurgeon put it so well. He said this, we owe all to Jesus crucified. What is your life? Notice what he says, my brethren. He's talking to the saved here. But the cross. Whence comes the bread of your soul? But from the cross. What is your joy? But the cross. What is your delight? What is your heaven? But the blessed one, once crucified for you, who ever liveth to make intercession for you. Cling to the cross. Then put both arms around it. Hold to the crucified and never let him go. Come afresh to the cross at this moment and rest there now and forever. Then with the power of God resting upon you, go forth and preach the cross. Tell out the story of the bleeding lamb. Repeat the wondrous tale and nothing else. Never mind how you do it. Only proclaim that Jesus died for sinners. You know what we need this morning? We need the cross. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, hear me, that is where it starts. It starts with your need for a Savior. It starts with your need of realization that you have sinned before a holy God and you must have an advocate. You must
must have one that is speaking for you, and that is Jesus. Jesus spoke for you on the cross. Jesus took the entire wrath of God, completely poured out upon him, so it wouldn't be poured out upon you. And what you have to do, you got to receive that. You have to accept that by faith. Christian, the cross is still your answer. You don't feel loved. You don't feel like, you know, God is moving in the world. Look back to that first Passion Week, to that first Holy Week, and I want you to see that every single step Jesus took was for you. I got to fulfill the scriptures. I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to give my back. I've got to give my cheek. I've got to give my face. God so that you and I can now go out and tell somebody about an awesome God that loves us radically and amazingly so that you and I can be the church. You know what we've done just now? We've come and we've collected together and we've worshiped God and and I enjoyed it. We've hopefully been encouraged in the love of God here this morning now, you know what we do? Now we step out these doors and we go be the church this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, until we can reconvene next Sunday. We go be the church. You know what we ought to be? We ought to be, hear me, billboards of the love of God for a world that is desperately in need of love. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Father, I come before you knowing that there was a lot of different applications that people could have taken this morning. 